Man, I am. And so this whole month, we're starting a new series called The Gospel. And it's awesome. We're going to end it off with Resurrection Sunday, April 1st. And man, we're going to have a, just a, a good month. So I want you to expect it because Jesus paid too high of a price for you just to enjoy him a little bit. Listen, this, this, you, you better get excited because this is going to get good, all right? Jesus paid too high of a price for you to enjoy him just a little bit on a Sunday. He came to absolutely take over your life. And that is the most wonderful, and that's the thing that you need most, is when you got Jesus, you got everything. So I want you, if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to kick off here, the scripture that you already heard, but we're going to continue with this. And uh, I know this is going to bless you. I know it's going to rock your socks because we have a good God. And as I said, he will meet you right where you're at. Man, I'm excited. I'm excited for this new church season that we're in. Listen, as a church family, y'all, we're in a different season. And uh, the season that we're in is, for one and first and foremost, is growth. We are in a growth season. So, I mean, we had 75 uh, adults that were here yesterday. Uh, it was a great way to launch our second service, our, our Saturday night service. And kind of what my wife had just said, what Jamie just mentioned about, um, it's, it's, a, it's a thing for the city. And the heartbeat behind it all is to get the gospel out in all forms and in every possible way that we possibly can. Saturday night reaches a different crowd, and that's exactly what the intention for it is. So and we're going to get more into that, but I want to just thank everyone that's, you know, that you serve on a team and you're involved in a team. Thank you for enlarging your heart. Thank you for expanding and extending your heart so that we could host more people. What you're doing is you're not doing it for us. What we're doing is we're just saying yes to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we're saying yes to you so that your word can go out in a greater way. That's the, that's the heartbeat behind it. So I just want to say thank you from those that are greeting to the kitchen back there, to all the children's teachers downstairs, to those that are on the worship and media. Everything that you're doing, you guys are doing a fantastic job kitchen-wise. Like, it's phenomenal. So thank you so much. And our team, thank you for making it happen. It's awesome. And God is good. And He is a rewarder. So it's not like you're just working your butt off for nothing. No, He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So listen, payday is on the way. Some of you, yes, man, take that. Payday is on the way. I'm taking that thing. All right, Romans 1, verse 16. says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Anybody ashamed about Him in here? No, okay, good. That's a good place to start. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I want to read it to you from the Living Bible. It says, For I am not ashamed about this good news about Christ. It is God's powerful method of bringing all who believe to heaven. This message was preached first to the Jews alone, but now everyone is invited to come to God in this same way. This good news tells us that God makes us ready for heaven. Isn't that good? Listen to that. It is God that makes us ready for heaven. Makes us right in His sight. When we put our faith and trust in God to save us. Now, so what is the gospel? Good news. But even more than that, what is it? Like if you actually look in the, if you, if you kind of do a little bit more research and study into the word gospel itself, eulingidion is the, uh, the, the Greek word. I probably butchered it, but eulingidion, something like that. And don't ask me to spell it. There's a few P's and a J in there, so. They're silent. <laughs> but eulingidion, it literally means... Too good to be true. Thank you, Cheryl. Jumping up and down, good news. 
Okay, can we all stand up for just a quick second here? <laughs> when you hear good news, what do you do? Oh, great. Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. Like when I, I remember when Jamie, she told me she was pregnant with, with our first child. <gasps> yes, you got excited. But when you hear jumping up and down, stinking good news, what do you do? All right, all right, we're, we're not sitting down until everybody gets involved in this, so we're going to just enjoy it, y'all, just enjoy it. Listen, if you can't be free here, it's, it's going to suck later on, so let me just encourage you, get free of yourself, because nobody's looking at you. Everybody's looking at me, so if you want to be awkward, come stand here with me, all right? Jumping up and down, good news, what does that look like? All right, we're at, we're at okay, okay, we're at about 65%, we're going to do it one more time. If a neighbor beside you is not jumping, let me encourage you, punch him or her gently in love and just say, get jumping so we can move on with church, please. All right. One, two, three, jumping up and down. Good news. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, all right. That's what I'm talking about. You may be seated. Whew. Man, now we're talking. Now we have church. Good night, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. No. Man. But what you're going to hear this morning is the jumping up and down good news. And what is the gospel? Yes, it's jumping up and down good news. But number one, the gospel is not good advice. It is good news. Because advice tells you what you should do. News tells you something that's already been done. Right? God didn't just come and say, oh, I got good advice for everybody. You should maybe, you know, take a look at my son. No, no. He gave the good news. He proclaimed it. He announced it. Right? So the gospel is not primarily a way of life. It is not something that we do, right? You working hard in order to convince God you're good enough. You living perfectly to please God. The gospel is something that has been done for us. Everybody say it with me. It has been done. The gospel already is a finished work. It is now just needs to be proclaimed. It is already done in this earth, right? When Jamie came up to me and said, Joel, we're pregnant. I didn't go, okay, we got we to get pregnant now. It's already done. The seed has been sown. <laughs> the word of God, the gospel is the same way. The seed has been sown. It's already here. We're not waiting for something for God to do something. It's already done. I, I believe you're going to see it this morning in a different light. You've heard this before, but it needs to change every part of your living. He's already come. He's already done it. It is jumping up and down good news. Right? Okay. The term the gospel, I mean, I get more of my research. Generally, it's used to declare the news of something that has happened to rescue and deliver people from destruction. In Psalm 40, verse 9, it says, the psalmist said, I have told everyone... The good news that you forgive people's sins. I have not been silent or timid about it, as you know, O Lord. So what is the gospel? It is a finished work. The gospel is not a code of ethics. Right? It's not to be debated. It's not an opinion. It's not just a cute subject that we discuss. The gospel is to be proclaimed and spoken as it's what has God has already done. It is a finished work. The gospel isn't what God will do. The gospel is what he has already done. Isn't that wonderful? So what is our message as believers, as Christians? We have good news. So when you constantly hear the negative side of everything, that's the, 
man, what are you talking about? God's not proclaiming bad news. What's he preaching? What's he proclaiming? Good news. You see the angels, they got jacked when Jesus was born. Why? Because good news was coming to the earth. Wasn't God's judgment that came and just bam, that's it. God is not proclaiming judgment. Let's say that together. God is not proclaiming judgment. People think, well, what, you see all these things going on. Man, God's judgment is just hitting that place. No, it's not. There's, an, there's a deep, there's devils on this earth that have access. When you push away God, then what happens is his protection lifts as well. God is a good God. What is he proclaiming? What is he trying to get across to the world? I love you. Good news. So our message as a church better reflect what our father is saying. He's not judging. He's not condemning anyone. He is bringing good news. So what is the gospel? It's not good advice. It's good news. Jumping up and down good news. Don't make me stand up again. All right. So number two is the gospel is good news announcing that we have been rescued. Now I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3. But God's original intention for mankind... Can anybody tell me, what was God's original intent for you? Why did He create man? Relationship. For love. He created Adam and Eve in the garden to have a relationship with them because He loved them so much. He desired a family. Right? Same way like husbands and wives. Why, why you start a family is you got so much love. Man, you want to bring up kids. You want to love your kids. You want to show them how good life is, how good our God is. That's what the whole cycle of this thing's all about. Well, your father's no different. He loves us so much that he wants, and you can even read it, Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, he wants to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness that he's pouring out towards us. What are we going to do though this thing is wrapped over? It's going to be God putting on the love show. Yeah. We're going to sit down just like this and God's going to go, Hey, guess what, y'all? I love you. And he's going to reveal it. And the next night, the same thing. What is it? The love show. The next night, the love show. You're going to be overwhelmed by how good he is to you. So why wait till you get there? It can start right here. Right here. Okay? So what God, of course, God's whole purpose was relationship, the goodness of God. He wanted a family. So in order for there to be good news, it means that there had to be bad news first. Right? There had to be something negative in your and my life, in the world that took place, but there had to, in order for good news to be present. So in Genesis chapter 3, I know you know this story, but I want to read it again for those that may not have read it for a while, just to get everybody back on the same page. Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied uh, to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and then suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now I want to talk about at that moment. 
the moment that that fruit was eaten by both Adam and Eve, something happened to them. I mean, you see their eyes were open. But at that exact moment, the scripture shows us a few things that happened right at that point. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, the first thing that happened was separation. Separation between a loved father, a loved God, and his man. Completely separated. Right? Isaiah 59, 2, and just kind of gives us more insight a little bit. It says, your iniquities, say my iniquities, saying your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So it's not that all of a sudden when Adam and Eve, when they sin, God just said, oh, I'm done with you. No, he was, man by choice separated themselves from God. And because of that, we're no longer able to hear him. We're no longer able to see him because we chose to separate from him. God has never left his post. What is it? He's still, he's still the love father that's always there, wanting his children back. But he couldn't have access because mankind willingly turned his, their back on him and said, we're going this way. Right? So separated from God means that you're separated from everything that he is. Who is God? Shout it out. Who is he? Love. That's the first thing. So when you're separated from love, what are you separated to? Hate. It's there. That's why you see the world the way it is. What else is God? Who is God? Joy. Peace. Protection. Strength. Wealth. Health. Anything else that rhymes? Forgiveness. Everything the Father is, we were separated from that. And the result is now we are separated not only from Him, but now we are separated to sin. We're stuck. We're in this place of, man, we can't get out. So we're separated from everything that God is, separated to sin. So the result was death, destruction. No, man, imagine, no joy. It, listen, just think about this for a second. Like, really think. There is no true joy apart from Him. What do people spend most of their time looking for? Joy. The pursuit of happiness. People are looking for it in all different kinds of areas. They're trying to find it in a spouse. Well, if, if he or she doesn't do good, well, I'll just find the next one. It, they're constantly looking for it. If this job, okay, well, this job, I'm getting big bucks. It's paying me real good. Over time, that's going to get real lame, and you'll look for the next thing. Right? You're constantly looking for this pursuit of happiness. Maybe if I just have kids, that'll bring everything to me. N no. <laughs> Listen, they're a gift from God, but they are not your source of joy. And if they are, you've got a problem. Because what happens when kids go bye-bye? I need more kids. Well, listen, you're, God's not going to do another Abraham and Sarah just for you so that you can have some more joy. You need to get your joy rooted in who joy is. Who is joy? My father is joy. That's what he's anointed with. God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness. That's who he is. So when you're with him, you will live the rest of your life full of joy. Even though this could stink, you're with him, joy. That's why it says count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. How can you do that? I'm connected to joy. <laughs> you don't even need to hear a good joke. You could just be connected. All of a sudden you could just walk into church and be laughing. It'd be good for people just to laugh. <laughs> that would solve a lot of problems. We got a lot of angry Christians and I don't understand why. We got good news. Happy, happy, happy. Look at your neighbor and say, look happy. 
<laughs> Get happy real quick. <laughs> All right. So we were separated from God, separated to sin, and sin is a slave master. It controls you. It keeps you within its grasp. And yes, it has temporary enjoyment. How many of you enjoyed sinning? Thank you, one honest person in front. <laughs> Let's be honest. Sin has enjoyment. Is going to the bar fun? No, it's not. Listen, is it going to the bar fun when you got a bunch? Yes, it is. It has temporary enjoyment, but what sin doesn't tell you is where it's leading you. That's the whole side of it. It says, oh, yeah, this is fun. Try out some of these drugs. Yeah, drink all these booze. It'll be a blast. Yeah, it's fun. But it doesn't tell you where it's going to take you. That's the, that's the whole trickery with sin. It's not they're giving you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's just showing you a little glimpse of what it could be like. Oh, it'd be so fun. You could be the popular one. Oh, and you, it looks good for a moment, but as you get into it, the further and further you find yourself depressed going, what happened here? It's because sin leads, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. No matter what, it leads you to it. Right? That's, that's, that's sin's payday. Right? Now, death doesn't just mean, I mean, you think kind of, we, right away, I don't know what your mind goes to, but you think natural death. Right? That's, that's true. Ultimately, sin's desire for you and my life is death. And in the worst case scenario is spiritual death. And what is spiritual death? Completely separated from God for eternity. Right? So again, I'm, I'm just talking to you about the bad news. And what else does sin want to do? I mean, you can see it in Genesis chapter 4, I believe verse 6. Uh, God talking to Cain says, sin is right at your door. It's waiting to get access to you. Right? Sin is there. It's always lurking. Don't pretend you've never been tempted. How many have been tempted here before? It's there. It's lurking. It's trying to. It wants to lure you into it. Right? And so that's, that's the trickery with sin. So what, what God came to do is He came to do something for us about this issue. So while we were separated from God, we were separated to sin. And as we said, Romans... I want you to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So number one, at that moment, mankind was separated. The second thing that happened... At that moment, death spread to everyone. Now I got to look at this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, When Adam sinned, what entered the world? Can you guys see that? Sin entered the world, right? And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. So now we're all in this death scenario. Right, because after Adam and Eve, anybody before Adam and Eve? No, that's that's kind of the that's the that's the that's the copy, right? So whatever they were like, it spread down through all generations, time past. Death spread to everyone, right? So now, what does death want to do? It doesn't just mean at that. I mean, at that moment, they died spiritually. Yes, we know that. It took 930 years for Satan to to teach Adam how to die. <laughs> Think about that. It took 930 years for Adam to die. Why? Because there was so much life in him. Man wasn't designed for death. Listen, when you, when you we have a lost one that goes home to be with the Lord, people are still, it, it hurts. You, you have this, because oh, we are not designed for it. We're never created for it. It was never part of our DNA. God never put this separation with loved ones. That wasn't part of us. But because sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. You know, if you actually just kind of for your own interest sake, you can actually Google the book of Adam and Eve. And there's a book. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not, not biblical teaching, but what it is, it's a, a, um, a Hebrew 
historical book that you can actually spend time reading it and you'll see the account of Adam and Eve after the garden. Uh, if you have some, if you feel sad, don't read that book. <laughs> it's a pretty depressing book. But you can see the reality of what they were feeling and what, what happened to them. Like, listen, they got separated and he lived 930 years. Like, that's a long time. No, 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 no. That's a long time. <laughs> we're used to, oh, 70. Woo, that's great. Man, 78. You're a teenager at 485 years old. <laughs> you get your license at 600. Like, it's just a... <laughs> that was a long time. So death spread to everyone. <laughs> but man, the crazy thing, so it's not just spiritual death, but also the other part of death, natural death. I mean, he, but also emotional, soulish death. And you got depression. All of that is a form of death. Right, that the enemy tries to bring in. And that's the number one thing that you see a lot of young people stressing over is anxiety. Right? They don't know how to cope with these emotions, these feelings. That is all a form of death. But what we, we got to do is we have the good news to attach people back to the source. Okay? Now I want you to go to Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20. In case you don't feel bad yet, this gets worse. <laughs> It says, well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, say all people, all, all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So again, remember, I'm just talking about the, the bad news. We're all under the power of sin. And actually, Eden, if they had a newspaper, Eden headlines would say, death reigns, sin rules, God is out. This is it. Sin takes over the entire world. Man, death is welcome here. Right? Death is having a party. Yeah. Right? That's, that's the newspaper, the headlines. Right? And so as we continue to see, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. Wait till we click there. You guys there? All have turned away. All have become useless. <laughs> Just love that line. <laughs> all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Now, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Okay, there we are. So not only that, but you know, at, at that time between Adam and Moses, there was no law at that time frame. But all of a sudden Moses came in and God gave the law. Now we kind of look at the law and actually if you look, studied out, there's 613 commands. Now, in order to be righteous or even to be walking with God, you have to obey all 613 commandments. <laughs> have fun with that. What is your life? You don't have time to work. You don't have time to go on a date with your wife or husband. You don't have time to raise your kids. You are so focused on these 613 commandments that you have to keep in order to be walking with God. And if you don't, the moment you slip up, boom, that's it. So the law, what did the law do? The law showed us where we missed it. 
Now, I'm, I'm going to use this illustration. Uh, let's pretend we're going to Earl's after here. Okay, we're all going to go to Earl's and get our get some spaghetti, get some chicken Alfredo, you know, all that good stuff. Anybody like chicken Alfredo like me? This is three people. Okay. All right. Or chili chicken with rice. No, we're talking. Okay, now we're talking. Got a few more amens on that. Okay. So you're sitting there, and all of a sudden you go to the, to the restroom, just go freshen up, and all of a sudden you realize you've got some spaghetti sauce or curry stuff all over your face. Now, the, what, what showed that to you? The mirror. the mirror. Now, when the mirror shows you that, do you go, you stupid mirror? What is wrong with you? You take, you start punching and start beating this mirror? Do you do that? No. Is it the mirror's fault? No. What did the mirror do? It revealed to you what you look like. So what is the law then? The law is a mirror. It showed us when you walked into to the law and you stood before the law, the law showed you where you missed it. Great. Thanks. Thanks, law. Appreciate that. Now, what we're stuck with is, man, we had no way to fix ourselves. We had no, there's no way. All this spaghetti stuff is all over us, and we had nothing to fix it, nothing to set us free. We were completely stuck in this sin realm. And the law, not only on top of that, the law showing us where we messed up. So God, gratefully and thankfully, He gave the, the people of Israel at that time their opportunity to go and kill an animal. They would just have a huge slaughter fest, and blood would be everywhere, and they, that would last for about a year. But the guilt of that sin would not go away. So there, here it is. Sin is still ruling. Sin is still dominant in all of mankind. But here it is. God saw that headline on Eden News and He said, I got to change the newspaper. Everybody said, that's good news. This is where it comes. This is starting to get better now. Bad news is sin ruled. Sin reigned over every person. You are stuck in sin's grasp. But God says, I'm going to do something. And in John 3, 16, you hear the message of Jesus. Now I want you to turn there for a sec. John 3, 16, 17. Remember, it's jumping up and down good news. So if you're sitting there looking miserable, I will come out there and I will make sure you are happy. Because if this doesn't get you excited, I'm serious. If this doesn't get you excited, Lord knows I don't know what will. Because if you are not impressed with God, I don't know how you can live this life. If it takes a lot for you to lift up your hands, come on, you've got to see them. If it takes a while for you to rejoice and even get happy in the church service, we've got to come to that place where you get so impressed with who He is. He is so good. Too high of a price for us just to come to, come to church and, oh yeah, praise the Lord. It's more than that. So John 3, 16, Jesus' words, For God loved the world. How much? So much. God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. Not an angel, not a bunch of gold, His one and only Son, the only one He had, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Now let's read this together. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Are we still in this time frame of, in, in, in history? We're still in this time frame. Where God sent His Son into the world not to judge, not to condemn, not to, con not to hurt the world, but that the world would be saved through Him. So what is our message as the church? We're not here to judge, 
to condemn, to convict the world. Our job is to show Jesus. He'll convict of sin. That's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit sent here to do. He convicts people of sin. The conviction and condemnation is two very different things. Condemnation is this guilt. It's this heaviness. Conviction goes, I need to change something. Right? It's, it's a self-look. You know, I, there's something in my life that I need to change. Anybody ever been convicted before? Yeah. Listen, you need to be convicted. It's good. But he doesn't convict you of sin. Now that you're a child of God, he convicts you of righteousness. Okay? The world, he convicts of sin. Man, because listen, you used to... Saturday nights, you used to go to the bar. You wake up Sunday morning and you got that person in the bed with you. And all of a sudden you're born again. You still do that. You wake up going, something's not right. It's because you got another person in the bed with you. The Spirit of God is with you now. There's a change. Now you go, oh, something's not right. What is that? It's the Spirit of God on the inside of you going, hey, you born again? No, we don't do that anymore. You're, you're a new creation. Old things are past. Behold, the fresh and new stuff. You don't do that anymore. Oh. So remember, it's changed from the inside out. Religion goes, stop doing that. You'll never be with God. That's, that's from the outside in. God works from the inside out. That's how a parent operates. He wants his kids, he wants you to work with him from the inside out, not just from the outside in. Okay. So what did God do? Romans chapter 5, 6 through 9. It says, when we were utterly helpless. Huh, utterly helpless. Anybody ever been helpless before? Man, completely, I mean, just in, even in your own life, you've experienced helplessness. You've been just stuck. Well, when you were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us, the church people. Oh, sorry. What did he die for? The sinner. When we were at our worst, he still gave his best. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person though someone might be perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. What else did God do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21. It says, For God made Christ. Everybody say, Made. He made Christ, who never sinned, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So that we, say me, so that me, I, could be made right with God through Christ. What did God do? He made Christ, who knew no sin, to take on Himself all the sin of mankind from time past, from the very beginning of Adam and Eve, to the very, very last moment before Jesus comes back, he took care of it all and then he put it all on Jesus. Man, you think about that. Why does the, the crucifixion, what we're, which we are going to come in and celebrate at the end of this month, why, you look at it, it was so harsh. Anybody seen the Passion movie? Yeah. And that gives a glimpse to it, but it, it's worse than that. <laughs> Listen, it says that Jesus is touched with all the feelings and all the infirmities that we have experienced. You have no idea. I mean, oh, I was raped as a kid, or I was sexually molested as a kid. Listen, Jesus had gone through the exact same thing. You have no idea what went on in that dungeon when he was under there for that whole night. Tortured, tormented, horrible, horrible. And you see, not, then what we see is the, the beatings, we see the, the whippings, we see the crucifixion itself, and that's horrible in all of itself. 
And you actually see that Jesus, or a book of Isaiah 54 says that Jesus' face was disfigured. He was no longer recognizable. You look at him, people go, man, they, they couldn't even look at his face. It was gone from all the beatings that took place. So, man, is this, isn't this a bit harsh? Yeah, it is. It's because God is a just God. Either Jesus had to go through that, or you and I will have to. I'm thankful for Jesus. He took a beating for me that I deserved, fully deserved. <laughs> what else did Jesus do? So now, I mean, Jesus took all this, but now what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. What else did he do? Not only did he take all these beatings and all this pain and physical, emotional torment, but in Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15, we also see, you were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, what did he do? He disarmed. Let me just read it first. The spiritual rulers and authorities, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now, again, I'm thankful last night we had a police officer present. Uh, this morning, we have another police officer present. Josh, when you disarm a bad guy, do you ask them, hey, can you please pass me that gun, sir? No. <laughs> Josh, what do you do? We command, and if need be, physical force. Now, I love that about Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the devil and go, okay, uh, devil, um, I've been here for a little while now. I'm going to need that. Can I, I'm going to need that power back. I'm going to need that authority back. If you could please pass that back to me. <laughs> Listen, my Jesus is not a wimp. Nor I'm not, Don't think of Jesus, you know, cute little Jesus walking the field with a lamb. This is, yes, he is the lamb that was slain, but he is also a lion. What do you do with a lion when, with a bad guy? You just release it. He'll take care of it. He will wreck him. So at this point, I believe Jesus was a little bit lit. He was a little bit, you know, this is enough. Now he's ticked. He's done. <clears throat> he disarmed. Everybody say disarmed. disarmed. He took the enemy, disarmed him, completely took everything back. Then what did he do? He shamed them. Now, yeah, publicly. So Jesus, what did he do after he destroyed the enemy? He, not only that, he shamed them publicly. He stripped them naked and said, hey, let's go for a little parade. So now, all of a sudden, you got all of heaven, all of hell looking. And meanwhile, you got the little, little devil just strolling behind. He's pulling him on. You know, he's got him tied up by his feet, and he's just kind of pulling him. He's a loser. And he's just pulling it, and he's just pulling this whole thing. He shamed him publicly. He shamed him publicly. Why? Because he hates everything that that kingdom operates in. God hates to see his children suffering because of sin. So what did he do? He disarmed it, and then he shamed them publicly over them on the cross. Man, when it was the greatest, we look at it, the greatest defeat, God showed it as the greatest opportunity for a parade to take place. Your lowest point, you may go, oh God, this is just embarrassing. You turn that around, and you make it as the greatest victory that you've ever experienced, and you put the enemy on display. This is what he tried to do in my life. Now look this, I'm going to have a parade and rejoice about it. Jesus didn't just, you know, barely make it, man. He jumped up, took it all, and had a parade, and swung him around. <laughs> now, what else did Jesus do? 
Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. It says, God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil. Other translations literally point out that He actually paralyzed Satan. He, everybody say paralyzed. paralyzed. <laughs> now, this beating wasn't just a little slap around. He paralyzed him. Anybody ever seen a fight before? <laughs> Man, you, you kind of watch like these UFC fightings or even boxing and stuff. I used to really enjoy boxing. I was in boxing for a little bit until I got hit in the face too many times. I said, this is annoying. I'm out of here. <laughs> Give me a Bible. <laughs> No callus. <laughs> what was I talking about? Besides no callus. See, oh yeah, see the fight. Thank you, Karen. See, see the fight. Man, when you, you see somebody that gets them to the point of paralyzing them, that, that, that's a beating. I want you to get this picture of how much Jesus destroyed the enemy. He didn't just go, give me that back. No, he destroyed everything that he has, rendered him useless, harmless, ineffective, paralyzed. Who did he do that for? Now, when you come up against a tough time, we know we don't fight people, right? We're not fighting people. Who is our enemy? This is the devil, right? All right, we got an enemy. We know that. But where is he at now? What does he look like? People are making him a lot bigger than he's panned out to be. <laughs> I made this decision. I wrote this in my dear diary that I'm going to read you in a bit, that I will never, ever, ever, on any occasion, <laughs> no matter what the circumstance, ever, 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 ever. Be impressed with the enemy and what he's doing. You look at Facebook and all you see is a lot of people impressed with what the enemy is doing. Meaning they're complaining about government. They're complaining about this happening. They're complaining about same-sex marriages going on. Listen, the more you give that attention, you're missing on the goodness of God. Focus on what God can do rather than fighting, their, fighting them. We're not fighting people. We have an enemy. All he, as long as he can take our attention off of what God wants to do and how he's able to restore and heal and set people free, we're looking at fighting people, we're missing it. Right. And now the enemy's just going like this, got him. Yeah. The, as long as you live impressed with the devil, you are going to miss what God is trying to do through you, in you, and for you to bless other people. I'm, talking, I'm not just saying as an individual, but the church at large. If we keep focusing on what the enemy is doing, we are going to miss what God is trying to do in this earth with his kingdom. We're trying to burn out fires. God isn't concerned. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Now let's get on his agenda. Because when we hear it from him, we'll know strategically what to do. It's time for the church to take over. And how do we take over? Not fighting what the enemy's doing by just simply hearing what he's saying and doing it. We don't play catch up with the devil. Say it, I'm not playing catch up with the devil. No, 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 no. That's not how this thing works. It's not, I'm just, you know, surviving. I'm just making things work until the next bad thing happens. I'm going to just pray and ask God to heal me for that. That's not how this thing works. You are more than a conqueror through Him. Come on, church. This is the good news. Now, it says that Satan, he roars around like a lion seeking who may devour. Now, it doesn't say that he is a lion. He's like a lion, but a lion with no teeth is pretty powerless. A lion without claws is just a big kitty cat. <laughs> right? Here, kitty, 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 kitty. 
Right? So as long as we keep talking about what the enemy's doing, forget about it. What I'm going to do, I'm going to start realizing and be impressed with what my God is doing. What did he do? He saved my life. I'm saved. Yeah. Get impressed with that. Because what will take your joy away is when you constantly look at what the enemy's doing. Then you come to church, hopefully for a, come for a pickup. Listen, you've got to come to church picked up already. People are just coming in. Oh, I just, you know, I just need some prayer. For what? What do you need? Sure, God will meet that. But he's already done it. If you get your eyes on the good news of what he's done, it'll change your entire way of living. Jesus, as I said, paid too high of a price for you just to enjoy life a little bit. Okay. We're okay? Okay. I got to get back to my notes here. Where am I? What are we talking about? <laughs> so motivated by love, God was unwilling to spend eternity without us so he paid the price for all sin. Jesus actually destroyed the power of sin and broke the power of the devil. Now I'm completely his, completely free, completely forgiven, and completely righteous in him. The good news is what Jesus has done for all mankind. His finished work on the cross gives everyone the opportunity to come back into a right relationship with God through his life. We are no longer stuck, no longer trapped, no longer lost, no longer orphans, no longer outsiders. And how do we receive this? It's a gift. This whole thing is a gift. Now I want you to, last scripture, just go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, 19. This month is going to get good. It's going to get better. As we progress in this, I want you not just to take this. I'm going to give you a challenge this, this morning. Because one of the things that you and I as believers, we're called to proclaim this gospel. What do you do with good news? You've got to share it. Man, there's something happened in your family. Something happened miraculous in your life. you got to proclaim it. Right? What happens when God did something in your body? Healed a, healed a disease. What happens? You start talking about it. But you I, you got to see this for what this is. He saved my life from hell. And as long as you're quiet about it, you're going to start taking it for granted. What costs Jesus everything, if it doesn't cost us anything, it becomes entitlement. And we start looking at the world as they're just kind of doing their own thing. God loves the world so much he gave Jesus. And as long as the church is not doing the great commission, we're missing it. We're not fighting other people. Our job is just to proclaim the good news. And we're going to talk about that in our last week, by, uh, message carriers. But that's who we are. Like it even says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news. What is this world looking for? Good news. Constant negative news. CNN isn't helping anybody. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter what, what network it is. Fox, they're all, they're all bringing it down to what's, what's taking place and all the crap that's going on in the world. Yes, it's garbage. Yes, we're not, not going to put our head in the sand and just go, oh, you know, Jesus, help us, Jesus. No, we're, we're, we're facing it. We see what's going on, but we're not responding to that. We're going, Father, what do you want to do? And we go ahead and do that. It's two kingdoms in operation, and it's not we're just trying to burn out things what the enemy's trying to do. No, we are fully fighting from this perspective, and going forward, the enemy should actually be trying to catch up to us. So it's a mind shift for you personally. Us as a church, we've got to change the way that we think. It's us forward, not trying to fix things. We're not fixers. Say it, I'm not a fixer. Come on now, church, we are not fixers. What are we? We're takeovers. 
Do you see that? I'm just trying to get my heart across to you in this. We got to change the way that we think. This city belongs to us. It belongs to us. It belongs to the church. Meaning church people got to be in every area to take this thing back over. We can't be playing soft and I'm going to just pray about it. Man, stop praying, start doing. We got to get this gospel out. Because listen, the reason why there, I believe there's such an urgency in this is because Jesus is coming back. He's on his way back. And we got to get the job done. God put us here in Red Deer. Think about this. We're in this city for a reason. Are we not? Did anybody choose to live here? <laughs> I'll just leave that there. My wife pointed out to me yesterday, did you actually know that we have five months of snow? I went, yes, that is true, and I've been in it for 30 years. <laughs> and anybody, I mean, anytime you go somewhere, I remember I, the past couple of times, a few years ago, I, would go, I went to Phoenix in February. People live there. <laughs> They don't have snow. They don't have winter tires. They walk on grass. I went, people live here. This is amazing. And I'm, ah, here we are. But we're here on assignment. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And our assignment is takeover. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to read you from my dear diary and then we'll be done. But uh, with this, I believe what we're doing here with the Saturday night service, again, this is just a small portion to what's actually going to take place. But I, I went on my heart and I just I typed out a few things for myself and I called it my rededication. I spent some time yesterday afternoon and just kind of leading up to this, I, I wanted to rededicate myself to the Lord, rededicate this church, rededicate the vision, rededicate what God wants to do through this church family. And I know it's a lot. I know what He wants to do is, is great. And I mean, you kind of think, well, don't you need a, a bunch of people to see that happen? Actually, no. God changed an entire city with 120 people in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. You see people that were filled with the Spirit and what happened? That whole city turned around because of 120 people when there was roughly, what, 500 people that were supposed to be there? Something, give or take, something like that. So I believe this with all my heart because of the assignment that is on us as a church family. There is a grace, there is an anointing on you to impact generations for Jesus. Yes, you may, this is a church that you attend, you get fed, that's great, that's, that's part of it. But I don't want you to neglect the gift that you have on the inside of you as well. When God calls you to a family, He also equips you for that family. I'm going to get on. Right? So, I mean, even think of it naturally speaking. The kids that you have, they are designed and ordained by God to be raised by you because there's something in you as parents that those kids need and vice versa. There's something in those kids that you parents need. Listen, I need my, I got three kids. I need those three kids. There is a grace and an, a call on their life that I need as a father, as a dad, and yes, as a pastor and as a minister. I need that. But it's the same way as a church family. It's not just a few people that are going to make this thing happen. It's a family, family collective joining and saying, I'm going to use my gift. I'm going to use my grace, my call, my anointing, and I'm going to push this thing through. through. This isn't just something that we're coming up with. We're finding direction from the Lord and we're pushing through it with it. Cool? So from my diary, my rededication. Here we go. I'm rededicating myself. Aaron, would you mind coming up again, please? I'm rededicating myself to leading people far from God into a relationship with Jesus Christ through the bold preaching of the Scriptures. I'm rededicating myself to hyper-focus on evangelism. 
that Jesus advocated in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which says that he came to seek and save those who were lost, not to please the religious and not to maintain the status quo. I am rededicating myself to the realization of what is at stake every weekend as I stand to preach to men and women who live, who have no hope outside of Christ. I will shamelessly give intense invitations for people to enter into a relationship with Christ. I am rededicating myself to the domination of this city and this region by strategic measures with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. Graham's legacy of unapologetic, Holy Ghost-filled, old-fashioned gospel preaching will continue in our church. I will simply advance the gospel by any means necessary. I am rededicating myself to harnessing and leveraging any cultural medium which will help us communicate the themes which are concurrent in Christ and in culture. That simply means we cannot reach a culture that we are condemning. I will speak into every vital component of this culture and will not shrink back. The earth is the Lord's and we are his children. Now us as a church, we are rededicating ourselves to confident humility. Without Christ, we are nothing, but in him, we can do all things. Impact Life Church, this is just the beginning. <laughs> if, you think, if you think you've seen something, you haven't seen anything yet. We're going over the edge past the point of no return as we join together to reach a lost humanity. Only the gospel matters. Denominational loyalties don't. Program-oriented preferences don't. Seeing a city overturned by the gospel, ignited by the passionate preaching of God's word, fueled by the force of the Holy Spirit, is our dedicated focus. Rededication brings revolution, and the revolution is just the beginning.